Even as a young man, Horatio G. Spafford was known of a, as a man of refinement and unusual intelligence. He was an avid student of Scripture. His desire to be a man of God was reflected in all his activities. In the prime years of financial success as a Chicago attorney, he knew that success at work had to be balanced by success both at home and in the church. Now, Horatio loved his wife. He loved his four daughters and son, and he was an active member of the Presbyterian Church. He was also a loyal supporter of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist and other Christian leaders of that day. He continued to build a, a solid spiritual foundation as he continued to build his business ventures. You see, the rock on, on which his, his faith would, uh, was built would prove more valuable than any earthly possessions, anything else that he had in the devastating crisis he was about to face when only in his early 40s. You see, Spafford's only son died just months before his large real estate investment was wiped out in the Chicago fire of 1871. Reeling from the family and financial loss, Spafford decided that the family would go to Europe and they would go as a family trip. And, and they made this, this trip to coincide with an evangelistic crusade uh, with D.L. Moody. Well, at the last moment, a, a business development delayed Spafford from going but uh, he went ahead and sent his wife and his four daughters ahead, and they set, sea, set sail on the SS Ville de Harve. Uh, they were going to cross the Atlantic Ocean to Great Britain, and he was going to join them a few days later. Well, the ship carrying his wife and four daughters was struck by, by an English vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes. All four of his daughters drowned. His wife survived the disaster and she was taken to Wales and she cabled her husband this message. Saved alone. Saved alone. In just a short time, he lost his son. He lost his large real estate investment and he lost his four daughters. And as quick as he could, as you can imagine, he got on a ship and was going to join his wife. And the captain of that particular vessel, knowing his deep bereavement, knowing what he was going through, he paused on their journey across the ocean to show Horatio the spot where Bessie and Annie and Maggie and Tanetta had drowned. It was on that trip that he penned these words. As he's facing all of this loss, all of this tragedy, he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Satan should buffet, though trials should come, 
Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul for me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day. When my face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Now, in all honesty, beloved, none of us really know how we would respond in the face of such tragedy. It's easy to speculate. It's easy to say. But until we're met with that tragedy ourselves, we're not sure exactly how we would respond. Our hope, our prayer is that we would respond in faith like Horatio Spafford. Imagine all the losses and yet he could pen those words. It is well with my soul. His faith was solid. The foundation was rock solid. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I shared that with you today because we find a similar tragedy here in the book of Ruth we're studying right now. If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, I want to share some verses today and I want you to see what's going on here. Go to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the first chapter. And we find in this very first chapter of Ruth that Naomi, a lady by the name of Naomi, faced a similar tragedy in her own life. She had lost her husband. She had lost all her children. They're all dead. And we pick up her story here in Ruth and we see how she responded. We see what happened. And we want to read it together today if you have it now. Ruth chapter 1. And we'll begin reading at verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they, that is her two sons, took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Verse 6 says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? 
Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. And thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Verse 19. So the two, so they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, in all honesty, this is somewhat of a difficult passage to get at the heart at. Uh, we understand what's going on here, but you know, some writers that I studied this past week, they blast Naomi for what she did here. They just tear right into her for her words and her actions. They let her have it. But you know, the more I thought about this, the more I studied this, the more I looked at this, the more I thought about Naomi as a person, a real person living back in those days, the more I realized we must remember this. This is grief talking. This is grief talking. While we could certainly find much fault in what she said uh, to her daughters-in-law and to the people there in Bethlehem, I don't want to be too hard on her today. Why? She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's lost so much that was so dear to her. And you know, sometimes, beloved, people in such a state will say things and do things that are quite out of character for them. When faced with the death of a loved one, a person's life is turned literally upside down. You know, as a pastor, I, I deal with this, it seems, quite often, families who lose loved ones and are, are dealing with that. And just think about in our own day what all takes place after the death of a loved one. Many times there's been an extended time of sickness and struggles and trials, or sometimes a sudden death. And then in the matter of two or three days, the family is faced with decision after decision after decision after decision. Unless prearrangements have already been made, they're picking out a casket. They're picking out a vault. They're, they're picking out flowers and hymns and pallbearers and on and on and on. Their world is reeling and there's nowhere to get off the ride. And then after it's all over, after the funeral's done, they come back. Then they're hit with that loss and slowly things go back to a new normal. And many times that's when it really hits the family that that loved one is gone. And of course, then there are more decisions to be made. Just dealing with the property, the possessions of a departed loved one can be overwhelming in and of itself. 
So people sometimes in those circumstances, in those situations, they may say things, they may do things that are totally out of character. Now, listen, you need this message today. You may need to tuck it away for the future. You may be dealing with it right now. You may need it for today, but you're going to need this message eventually. I want to talk to you today about three things to remember when you lose someone you love. Three things to remember when you lose someone you love. Now, this normally comes as a result of death. A loved one dies. But as I thought about that, you know, it may not always be physical death. It may be that you've lost a loved one. You've lost someone you love through the death of a relationship. That relationship is no longer there. And the grief and the hurt and the loss is very real in those situations as well. So three things to remember when you lose someone you love. Are you ready to jot these down and tuck them away? Number one, here's what you need to remember. Remember to walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm talking to Christians in this message. I'm talking to those whose sins are forgiven. I'm talking to those who are citizens of heaven. Those who have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If that does not describe you, listen, that's where you must begin. God has declared that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good, all are lost, destined for hell. But he provided the way of forgiveness. He provided the way of salvation. He gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again victorious over death, sin in the grave. And he lives. And because he lives, you can live as well. We're told in God's word that if we'll turn from our sin to Christ, we will be saved. It's a matter of placing your faith totally 100 percent in Christ and Christ alone. And if you've never done that today, friend, today's the day to do that. You need to turn from your sin to Christ. Put your faith totally in him. You can express that faith in a very simple prayer, something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I cannot save myself. I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe Jesus took my sin upon himself. Please forgive me of my sin. Make me your child. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You can do that right now. You can do that right where you're seated. You can do that right there in that pew. You can turn from your sin to Christ. You can go from death to life. You can do that today. That's where we start. And, and, and when a person knows Christ, here's what I want you to remember. When you lose someone you love, remember to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, let's go back to the passage here. Naomi was not doing that at this time in her life. She's not walking by faith. She's walking by sight. She's going back to Bethlehem, Judah. And if you notice in the story, her daughter-in-laws are going along with her. And she turns to her daughter-in-laws on this journey, uh, probably didn't get very far outside of Moab, maybe to the city's edge, we're not sure. But she turns and talks to her daughters-in-law. And her words are not filled with faith, not at all. Notice what she says in verse 11. Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Verse 12, turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they're grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes. The hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Look at verse 15. 
She says to Ruth, behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back into her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Now, I'll be honest with you. I believe Naomi loved her daughters-in-law. I believe her daughters-in-law loved Naomi. I really believe that Naomi wanted what was best for her daughters-in-law as best she knew how. And she realized that as a widow, she was facing some real hardship. She realized she may be even ending up destitute. I mean, totally, totally in trouble. And rather than bring Orpah with her, rather than bring Ruth with her, she says, listen, y'all go back to your families. Go back to your mother's house. She was really seeking to push them back to their own people. It's obvious from the passage, her desire was they would get married again and have families again. Have a husband, enjoy their lives. But she did not entertain the same thoughts for herself. She saw, it seems, her future is very dark and very hard. Why? She was walking by sight rather than by faith. She was walking by sight rather than by faith. We can end up doing the same thing if we're not careful. When someone we love dies, especially a spouse, our future can seem very, very bleak. A lot of questions arise. Depending upon the stage of life, different difficulties may be present. For some, they have very young children. For others, they have other difficulties. Others are in the senior years of their life and they're wondering what's going to happen. All kinds of things present themselves at that moment. When that loved one dies, you must remember to walk by faith and not by sight. Those are challenging days. I remember my own family. Growing up, my father died when I was five. My brother was 11, I believe, at the time. And my mother was there facing life, facing a future with two young boys. The death of her husband. She was working at, in the textile mill. I grew up in the textile area. And there she was facing life with that. Caring for us. Working a job. Supporting us. At the same time, mourning the loss of her husband. Probably many of us here could share similar stories in our own family, and our own experiences. I wonder real quickly, would you be honest? How many here today you've lost someone you love? Would you lift your hand? Yeah, pretty much the majority here. You've lost someone you love. Here's the problem. We get to those questions. What if? What now? And we get to struggling with some of those things. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to walk by sight rather than by faith. Listen, God is faithful. God knows the needs that are present. God knows the hurt that you're going through. God is faithful. He knows what you're facing. So we have to walk by faith, trusting him every step of the way. So remember to walk by faith and not by sight. Remember at numbers two to receive those who are there to support you. Remember to receive those who are there to support you. Now, this is a hard one for some of us. It's harder for some than others. Look at this passage. Naomi, she lost her husband, Elimelech. She lost her two sons, Malon and Kilion. But she was not alone. She still had Jehovah, right? And she also still had two daughters-in-law. She had Orpah and Ruth. Two daughters-in-law that obviously loved her very much. Notice what, notice what Naomi says about her daughters-in-law in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord dealt, watch this, The Lord dealt kindly with you, and she have dealt with the dead and with me. 
During those difficult days, those daughters-in-laws didn't desert her or leave her. They were there with her. They were kind to the dead. They were kind to her. And we need to remember to receive those who are there to support us. Now, notice verse 10 again. They say to her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. They said, listen, Naomi, we want to go with you. We want to go back to your people. We want to go to Bethlehem, Judah. We want to go with you. And then she begins in verse 11 and 12 and 13. I mean, she brings some very convincing arguments. I'm too old. If I were to get married today and have a son, you're going to hang around until he's old enough to get married. You're going to wait all that time. Go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. One writer even wondered, looking at her ability to present an argument, if Elimelech ever won an argument in their marriage. I mean, she was pretty good at this. She's presenting these arguments, convincing arguments. And then verse 14 says that Orpah, they're there crying, they're saying goodbye. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and she returned back to her people. But it says that Ruth clave to her. Ruth held on to her. Ruth is determined to stick with Naomi no matter what. Naomi says, you know what? Ruth, look at verse 15. Look at your sister-in-law. She's gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Now, here's where I say this is grief talking. Why in the world would Naomi ever tell Ruth to go back to your false gods? Go back to serving these idols. Remember, their main god was Chemosh. The one whom they actually offered child sacrifice to. Grief talking. Ruth utters some words to Naomi that are often used in wedding ceremonies. Beautiful words. May have been even used in your ceremony. But actually, these words are spoken from a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. Look at what those words are there in verses um, 16 and 17. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And notice the next part. Thy God, my God. Verse 17. Where thou diest, will I die and there will I be buried. The Lord, that is the true Lord, Jehovah, the Almighty, the Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Now, how did Naomi respond to that? Look at verse 18. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Now, if I understand the sense there, it doesn't appear perhaps that Naomi was really that excited about Ruth going along. She said, well, God bless your heart. I'm so glad to have you. Let's go home. She said, well, I'm just going to quit speaking. She's made up her mind. Come on, let's go. Uh, I think that's the sense there. Why? I believe that Naomi was struggling with bitterness here. In fact, she'll go on down and you'll read that when she got back to Bethlehem, Judah, they said, is this Naomi? That's a wonderful welcome when you've been out of town for a long time. Is that Naomi? I mean, imagine the hardship and the trials and the burdens of all these deaths. And she says, listen, don't call me Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. 
I believe she was dealing with bitterness in her life at this time. And she saw probably Ruth as more of a burden than a blessing. Here's another mouth to feed. Here's someone else to worry about. Here's somebody else to take care of. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm walking by sight and not by faith. I've lost everything. And now you're with me and I have this extra burden. Perhaps that's what she's thinking. Now listen, heartaches and trials can make us either better or bitter. The choice is ours. We can grow bitter and angry and full of all kinds of hostility. Or we can allow the Lord to use those hard times to make us better. To grow our faith and to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Naomi did not realize just how blessed she was to have Ruth with her. God had a plan in mind. God's going to use this young lady, Ruth, in a wonderful way. Naomi had a special gift from God. And we'll see that as we continue to study in the weeks ahead. But here's what it is. We need to remember this. Remember to receive those who are there to support you. Receive them. I'm talking about those folks who love you. Those folks who want to wrap their arms around you. Those folks who really care. Allow them to minister to you. Allow them to comfort you. Allow them to help you. Allow them to bless you. They're there because they love you. They love the Lord and they want to help you. Allow them to do it. When you lose someone you love, remember to walk by faith and not by sight. Remember to receive those who are there to support you. And number three, a very important one. Are you ready? Remember that God is for you, not against you. Remember that God is for you, not against you. Now, Naomi needed to realize this. Look at what she says in verse number 13. She says in verse 13, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, watch this next part. For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out where against me. Look at verses 20 and 21. And she said to them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home yet again empty. Why then call ye Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me? What is she doing? She said, look, the Lord is against me. The Lord has done all these things in my life. Now, I'll be honest with you. Many scholars believe that Elimelech and his family, they suffered greatly because they left Bethlehem, Judah. They left the house of bread and they went to God's wash pot, God's garbage heap, as we learned last week, the land of Moab. And many believe that they were chasers of the Lord and they lost their lives because of that. Now, we do know that the Bible teaches that God chastens those who are his. God chastens those that are his children. We're not told specifically that's what's going on here. But here's the real question. Was God against Naomi? No. God was for Naomi. She couldn't see it. She couldn't understand it all. But God was working. God was putting things in place. He put a young lady by the name of Ruth right there with her. And God has an awesome plan in mind for her. By the way, she didn't realize that. When she got back, she told them what? I went away full. The Lord brought me back empty. That's almost a slap in the face to Ruth. What about Ruth? She's standing there with you. She came back with you. You see, she was so short-sighted. She was walking by sight and not by faith. She was not receiving those the Lord had sent to support her and help her. 
And she did not recognize that God was for her and not against her. Here's another case where we said that God was for. Look at verse 22, the very last verse. The very last part of that verse says, They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. That's significant. Because as you'll see as we continue to study, just how important that was. She was not going to starve. She would be able to glean in the fields and feast and eat because the Lord had provided for it the very time she returned to Bethlehem, Judah. God had wonderful plans for Naomi, but she couldn't see them. That's why I say again, it's important to walk by faith and not by sight. Naomi's theology was messed up. She was not looking at God in the right way. All she could see was her tragedy, her heartache, her loss, her grief, her pain. She was not looking at her God. Cyril Barber says many of us have defective views of God. Depending on what's going on around us, we may see him as a cosmic policeman. A cosmic policeman. He says, who at best will blow the whistle on us if he sees us having any fun and is often ready to arrest us if we do anything wrong. People just look at God and say, he's like a cosmic policeman. If I have any fun, he's going to blow the whistle on me. Or he's going to arrest me if I do anything wrong. He said other people... See, the Lord is an absent landlord who periodically without without announcement invades our lives, checks up on us and penalizes us all for the errors of omission and a commission we have made. He says they make God out to be harsh, unreasonable and unsympathetic with our problems, our limitations and our aspirations. Others, he said, take a purely utilitarian view of God. They see God as a cosmic bellboy who's responsible for answering every prayer, for running to their aid whenever they get into trouble and they have a particular need of him. When not needed, the cosmic bellboy is to stay out of their way. Let me ask you something today, friend. How do you view God? Is he a cosmic policeman in your life? Is that how you really see him? If you have any fun, he blows the whistle on you. If you do anything wrong, he's ready to arrest you and punish you. Or do you see God as that absent landlord? You don't see him for a while, then he's there checking up, ready to penalize you, ready to bring hardship into your life. Or or is God to you just a cosmic bellboy? When you need him, you call him. When you want something, you let him know. He better show up, better be on the spot, better do exactly what you say. And when you don't need him, you say, hey, see you later. I'll call you when I need you. Stay out of my way. Is that that way you view God? Or do you view him as he is? Do you view him as a loving, heavenly father? The one who loved you so much... He gave His Son to die for you. He gave Jesus Christ to be put on a cross and shed His blood for you. Do you see that He's the one that not only gave you physical life, that allows your heart to beat and your lungs to keep working today, allows you to keep breathing this very moment. He not only gives you physical life, but He gives you eternal life in heaven for all eternity. If you'll simply take His Son by faith. Listen, Christian, God is not against you. He is for you. He wants to make you like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's working to do just that. Even if the whole bottom has dropped out of your life, he is holding your hand. He loves you. He loves you. 
He really does. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter how hard it is, you can honestly say, God loves me. He loves me. Naomi wasn't saying that, was she? She says, God's against me. God's hand's going on against me. God's afflicting me. God's against me. No, Naomi. You can't see it. You can't understand it. You can't appreciate it yet. But God is for you. When you lose someone you love, you need to remember at least three things. You need to remember to walk by faith and not by sight. We don't always understand why it happened. We don't understand what's going to happen. We don't understand what the future is, but we know who holds the future. We walk by faith and not by sight. When you lose someone you love, you receive those who are there to support you. As gifts from God. And you allow them to minister to help and to comfort and encourage your heart. And finally, believer, when you lose someone you love, you're reminded again. God is for me. God is not against me. Although I can't understand how he's going to use this. Although I understand why this happened. I know his word says clearly in Romans 8.28 that God works all things together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Naomi couldn't see it here in chapter one. She will before we're through with the story. I don't know where you are today, friend. I don't know what you're facing, but I can tell you this. He's worthy of your trust. He is faithful. And you trust him today and every day. He is faithful. Let's pray. Father, it is with grateful hearts that we bow in your presence today. We thank you for these reminders from Naomi's story. Father, we're so tempted. We fail in many ways like Naomi does. We get our eyes off you and on our circumstances and our problems and our heartaches. Father, forgive us and help us. Give us strength. Help us remember that you're faithful. You're God. You're still in control. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to realize you're for us, you're not against us. And help us to receive the wonderful gifts of those who are there to support and comfort and help. Father, I pray if someone here in this service today is mourning the loss of someone they love, you would use these words as an encouragement to them. Father, I pray again today if someone's here that does not know you, they would come today and find forgiveness of sin, the free pardon through Christ. Our Savior. Bless this invitation, I pray, in the Savior's name. Amen. We're going to close this morning by singing that song by Horatio Spafford. You know the story behind it now. Number 410. And if you're here today and you need to trust Christ as Savior, or perhaps you prayed when I was talking earlier and you asked the Lord to receive you, would you come today? And we want to share that and rejoice with you. If you need to still be saved, you didn't. Come to the Lord yet. Come during this invitation time. And then maybe you need to come today and trust the Lord in some area of your life. You come, the altar's open. 410, let's stand and sing. Would you come? 410.